today on Ag News Daily. I think right now, if you look at technology, it's one of those deals where you kind of have to stay ahead of the curve if you want to see the residual uh, effects of what those efficiencies are going to bring back to your operation. January 31st, 2024. We've been talking about it, Delaney, for the last couple of days, but we've made it. We made it to the last day of January. I don't know where this month has gone, Tanner. (laughs) I would say it has gone very quickly as well. And if that's the case, so will the entire year of 2024. So it's a good thing that we're going to curate some of the top headlines all year. It is. We've got lots of good headlines today, I'm sure. Yes, let's start off with the news. And uh, if any of the old wives' tales are true, we are going to have a very wet planting season here in the Midwest because we have dense fog again. Dense fog has returned for much of south central Minnesota, central Iowa this morning, dropping visibility as low as quarter of a mile. Temperatures in some areas will be below zero, leaving slick spots on roads and sidewalks, as well as those lesser traveled secondary roads. Several rivers are overrunning their banks as part of Illinois and Indiana amid their recent precipitation plus the melting of the snow. So we've got flood warnings and watches that have been issued for several counties. The Illinois River from Starve Rock Lock and Dam downstream is facing severe flooding though the the levels there dropped a little bit last night to 24.9 feet when flood stage is 20 feet, Delaney. We do see a little bit of reprieve from the moisture in these areas uh, coming up in over the next couple of days, but we also have uh, some update coming from California and their snowpack. That is certainly a concern as they look to continue to keep their reservoirs full. California water officials say after their second snow survey of the season in Phillips Station, they did see modest improvement to the Sierra snowpack, but they are still below average. Snow survey notched 29 inches of snow depth, snow water equivalent of 10 inches. That is 58% of the average for the area. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Like I said, there is a forecasted storm system to move through that area middle of next week. So we'll see if that adds to the snowpack. I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, Been spoiled here with some warmer temperatures, Tanner. That's correct. Well, as we take a look here at some international headlines, we have seen the Biden administration move forward on reinstating sanctions on Venezuela. The decision reverses the lifting of some sanctions that occurred previously back in October and comes after Venezuela barred a key opposition presidential candidate from running in the upcoming election. Initially, the U.S. has had eased restrictions back in October in a response to Venezuela's commitment to even hold an election. But now with the blocking of presidential candidate Maria Machado, the rollback of restrictions on Venezuela's oil industry is now at risk of expiring due to the recent Venezuelan court ruling and the arrest of several opposition members. The U.S. State Department and other U.S. government agencies have been conducting transactions with the state-owned gold miner and will continue to do so until those transaction, until those sanctions, excuse me, go back into effect. But the Biden administration did warn that if Machado 
was not allowed to run as well as others in the election, that the oil industry sanctions would be reimposed on April 18th. And it sounds like that is the next step that we are headed toward, Tanner. Yeah, and I don't, we don't normally jump into headlines from Russia and Ukraine, but when you talk about elections, a headline popped out this morning. It's less than six weeks from Russia's presidential election, and the country's political establishment will be under vote. Anti war candidate Boris Nadazadin said that he is planning to run. He has 105,000 signatures to enter him into Russia's Central Election Commission. He's prepared to challenge the incumbent Putin in the upcoming vote. So we'll see if their CEC accepts signatures and this election will be closely watched. Uh, Boris, a longstanding figure in Russian politics, has been a very critical, vocal, been very vocal and a large critic of Putin over the last couple of months. Of course, if this does take place and he takes over, that would be a big shakeup to the Russian Security Council and would potentially change the direction of the war. Of course, we'll better get some headlines in here. Ukraine and Russia did conduct a prisoner swap this week after downing planes. Ukraine and Russia did carry out this after a nearly a week after 65 prisoner of wars were killed. There are more people continuing to be negotiated. Another 207 are on the list for Ukraine's return of prisoners of wars. No matter what, each party said that they are looking to bring all of their citizens back within their borders. They were working together to make this a priority. So quite an interesting turn there. Even though battle is still continuing, Delaney, it sounds like there's good discussions there to return some people to their homeland. It does sound that way indeed, Tanner, but we'll get some other economic headlines here internationally. European ha- Euro- the European Commission has said that the EU has once again avoided a, n- a narrow recession here to end the year 2023. The GDP reading for Q4 showed a tenth of a percent year-over-year growth and no change in quarter-over-quarter growth. While that doesn't sound like a lot, it does beat expectations that they were expecting to see a decline for another quarter in a row, which would be an indicator that they were technically in an economic recession. However, when we look at some specific countries within the EU, Portugal, Spain, and Italy all had larger than a tenth of a percent increase in GDP, However, when you look at countries like Germany and others, they were actually negative. But when you look at the European as a whole, they saw some somewhat positive movement here, Tanner, as far as their economic GDP went. And we're going to see an expectation here, hopefully later this afternoon from the Federal Reserve on what they expect the U.S. economic policy to look like in the coming months. Yeah, and agricultural economists in the United States do think that they are looking at net farm income falling to its lowest level in three years. Of course, that's a dramatic headline because we've been at record highs the last two. Ag economists took their deep dive in their first Ag Economist Monthly Monitor of 2024. Lower commodity prices, along with higher costs, continued to put weight on the industry. They certainly saw results in January, suggesting a downturn is along the way. The University of Missouri, who helps author this monthly monitor, 
says that December to January projects corn prices falling 25 cents over the next month. Just one sign that economists are growing more pessimistic. The trend is just one of them that is monitored in this survey. A couple of the key points is declining commodity prices and stubbornly high interest rates will create issues. Commodity production should outpace demand, which moves prices in the wrong direction, and macroeconomic factors domestically and abroad, just like you had reported on Delaney, as well as geopolitical factors are going to continue to push negatively on the ag sector. Competition and expansion is uh, expected to continue to happen going forward. Looking at political stagnation on biofuel and trade policies is one of the items that they are focused on. But looking at anything positive, the economists did have to answer that question, said that they do see potential for growth in demand with the right trade environment, stated that farmers are resilient, and we do have strong genetics for encouraging producers to have strong crop yields. So I don't know if that's a good thing, Delaney that one of the positives to the survey is just the fact that our listeners are resilient people. I think that could be a good takeaway from that, Tanner. Absolutely. Well, only a couple of other headlines here for me. We got some movement here in the Iowa Senate on some continued legislation related to foreign farmland purchases. Iowa currently is a state that does have strict measures in place for foreign farmland purchases, but a new Senate Bill 3113, introduced by a trio of senators, state senators, two Republicans and one Democrat, have recommended a bill put forth by Governor Reynolds that would continue to tighten reporting requirements for land that is owned or leased by foreigners. Specifically, the Iowa Senate bill requires foreigners to provide basic identifying information about themselves their reason for acquiring land holdings, and a list of those holdings in other states that total more than 250 acres. Updates to the reporting would be required by any biennially, and it would empower the Attorney General to subpoena a wide range of records, including purchase agreements, correspondence, and memos, to determine whether foreigners are complying with those requirements. If the bill does pass, it would also increase com- penalties for non-compliance with fines of up to 25% of the property value and $10,000 penalties for failures to file the periodic reports. We will see how this moves through the Iowa Senate, but it sounds like it is largely favored by folks on both sides of the aisle here as a way to continue to protect Iowa farmland. But Tanner, I also read this article this morning. It's titled, Who's Buying Nebraska Farmland? And uh, I don't know if you saw this. Oh, I don't know if you saw this article or not. But yeah, nobody is part of the part of the punchline, I guess, to some extent. But um, nobody in the fact that there were quite a few farms purchased in Nebraska and other states who didn't have a clear owner listed on the deed. And so a couple of folks have tracked down some federal records to show the series of Nebraska farms that were listed as foreign owned, but there's no country attached. There was no hint that these farms were using specific names. And so a couple of folks dug in a little deeper here and saw that quite a few of these farms were linked to a building in the St. Louis suburbs. 
an office park housing a dentist, a lawyer, and until recently, a farmland investment startup called AgCoA. And for years, people were wondering who owned AgCoA. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing the name of it right, but Dana, they finally got into the bottom of it. Do you want to guess the buyer's name? Uh, Warren Buffett? Oh, no, but you're very close. The buyer's name was Bill Gates. Ah. The billionaire apparently has been purchasing lots of farmland under this shell company for years. And for whatever reason, he has wanted his name to remain out of the purchase agreements. Yeah, I uh, am a little surprised and not all at the same time. But as we get to the end of our news, I've got a couple of quick headlines to share before we roll into where markets are looking to open today. Poet joins Summit's Carbon Solutions as Navigator CO2's pipeline project was put on hold or canceled. Poet then partnered with Summit Carbon Solutions to add 17 ethanol plants to Summit's pipeline. This would be a big boost for Summit Carbon Solutions as Poet is the largest bioethanol producer in the Midwest. It will be interesting to see what types of effects this has on the permit approval process that we reported on yesterday. Also want to let our cotton grower listeners know that BASF is looking to provide additional support to them with 0% APR financing. Cotton growers are tough, just like our survey said, for resilient farmers. Those are looking to continue to build their crop portfolio. BASF will continue to support them with a fixed 0% APR financing to the qualified cotton growers with a minimum purchase of $5,000. This includes uh, anything from seed to uh, protection products. They understand that there is risk and uncertainty associated with growing cotton, and they are here to help mitigate the volatility of interest rates. So it'll be interesting to see what the Fed does, as you've been reporting, but at least our cotton growers have an option that keeps them protected. Absolutely, Tanner. Well, that is the final headline I think we have for today. So what do you take me to... What do you say we take a look at the overnights here? Let's do it. As we take a look at the overnights here, March corn is down two and a quarter cent heading into the opening session at 445. March soybeans down six cents will open on the board at 1212 and three quarters. March Chicago wheat down eight and a quarter cent at 597 and a quarter. Hard red March spring wheat down, excuse me, hard red March winter wheat down eight cents at 622 and three quarters and spring wheat. Down seven and three quarters cents will open at 692. Taking a look at livestock and where they will open on the board here this morning, February live cattle will open at a buck 7802 and a half. March feeder cattle at 24132 and a half. And February lean hogs will open on the board at 7585. Dana, for today's conversation, we are turning things over to a fellow friend of the podcast, Casey Seymour, to talk equipment trends for 2023. So let's turn it over. Well, folks, we're chatting with a familiar voice to the podcast here, Casey Seymour, who is the host of the Moving Iron podcast. And Casey, excited to have you on today because I know that you are a well-known influencer in the equipment space. And we're excited to chat equipment trends in 23 and 24 and beyond with you today. Well, Delaney, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So Casey, for those of our listeners not familiar with your background in the Moving Iron podcast, would you mind just sharing a little bit of your background with us? 
Yeah, sure. So I've been in the equipment business for the I don't know, past 16 or 17 years, however long it's been. Um, and I've spent most of my time on the used equipment side uh, of that business. I uh, started the Moving Iron podcast uh, about six years ago now. And basically what I'm doing is I'm just following the the economic developments of trend lines that are out there uh, to kind of show where the uh, equipment space is going. So basically I'm trying to figure out where the money's going to come from to pay for the equipment. And then once you have that equipment, what's your, uh, ultimately what's your, uh, best play when it comes to, uh, recognizing the value of that equipment when it comes to resale. And that's probably gained a pretty substantial audience because there's a lot of people curious about your observations. So let's, let's jump right in. What's one of the biggest things you've noticed in the last couple of months? You know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, supply is definitely caught up with demand. So coming out of COVID, we saw all the, all the different um, factory shortfalls when it came to getting things delivered on time and you know, all the stuff that came along with that. And I think the biggest thing we saw now is that in 2022 was probably the low spot uh, for most manufacturers when it came to uh deliveries made and they sure made up for it in 23 and i think what happened in 23 um starting in the first quarter of 23 uh really was the amount of equipment that got delivered and then how much how how that pace kind of sustained itself all the way through the year so it almost felt like we had uh almost two years worth of equipment show up in one in one fell swoop um if you take a look at how markets are market share data and those kind of things from the various manufacturers, a lot of them are seeing a, a huge spike up in in uh, the overall um, industry um, year over year, simply because the amount of equipment that got delivered in 22 versus the amount of equipment that got delivered in 23. So with that all being said, as new equipment comes in, so does the used equipment come right behind it uh, that's being delivered. And we're starting to see that fill up on, on the dealership lots out there. Daisy, curious how you are keeping tabs on all of these pieces that are moving because it seems like we're getting updates from, you know, different OEMs and whatnot, but what, how do you have the inside handle on what's going on? Yeah, there's the, the beautiful thing about the world now is that the, the internet has made things a much smaller world than, than what you had anticipated. So if you look at any of the listing sites out there, whether it's, you know, Tractor House, Machine Repeat, Fastline, whoever it is that you, that you go look at, you can track and see pretty simply from a lot of open source spots that show how much inventory is growing and, and, and what you're seeing out there as well. Um, you know, there's some services that I, that I use that are paid for services as well that, that open those uh, kind of a little bit of Pandora's box there a little bit to see what's inside. So as we look to the spring, we've got listeners that might need to make some equipment purchases before they get to the field. What's the planter and sprayer market look like? Yeah, so plant and spray market, I think, is they're they're a very unique animal right now. I think when you're looking at what's available for the sprayer market on the perspective and the and the planter market as well from upgrade kits, those two machines have have those two platforms have got a lot of uh, opportunities uh, for upgrades. So you can take your your older sprayer, uh, your older planter, and and really put turn it into what's you know, the latest technology that's out there and, and go doing that, looking at what's physically on the ground right now. Um, you know, the, the sprayer market and the planter market, both never really had that full on rebound that we saw um, tractors and combines have coming out of the last downturn in, in 14, 15, 16. So the numbers of machines that are out there are, are lower than what we've seen in the past, especially coming out of COVID. Um, We've seen uh, the amount of sprayers not rebound as fast as as some other segments have had. 
So if you're looking for a sprayer right now, there's there's good selection out there to have. But I, I would say if you're looking before you go and spend a bunch of money on buying that brand new, you know, sprayer or whatever it is and looking at that brand new technology, you might have the conversation with your dealership as to what you currently have and then what's available for your for your sprayer that you can upgrade to that will give you the the latest technology at a at a smaller point of entrance as far as dollars go. So you mentioned those performance upgrade kits. Explain those to the listeners that might not understand what you're talking about. Yeah, so um, so let's start with the planner side of it, for example. So both uh, John Deere has had the um, uh, performance upgrade kits that have been out there for a long time. And basically, you can take the exact Emerge um, system out there and buy individual row units and hang those uh, on whatever bar you have, right? Um Agco just came out with their, uh, on the precision ag side of it, just came out with the cornerstone system, which is for basically the same thing where you have a, a complete row unit that you can hang that have the latest technology built into it. So instead of having to buy piece by piece, you can buy a whole row unit, run the harnesses that you need to run and update your 10 or 15 year old planner and, and make it into, you know, a brand new one off the, off the shelf minus the, uh, minus the bar being new. Right. Um, with that being said, you know, you can have the same performance that you saw um, out of the new one that you will on these ones here. But typically, from my experience, it's been it's pretty close to about half the price of um, what you'd see on a new one. Right. So as you do the math on that, what makes the most sense for your operation? Is it the, you know, just if you buy a 24 row planner and it's brand new one's close to five hundred thousand dollars now, um, or if not more, um, you can take that same uh, pitch and, and do something in that $200,000 to $300,000 range and have uh, have the same technology out there. On the sprayer side, um, if you look at what John Deere's doing, um, you can now put C and spray out there on on some older plant, older sprayers that have, uh, I believe it has to have exact apply to make that work. But um, there again, there's another option that's out there that you can look at that is not necessarily the the five hundred or seven hundred thousand dollars sprayer, it's a it's a more nominal um, price point to get into, and it, you know roughly about half of that price. So you, you're having some opportunities to where you can look at that technology at a smaller price point, but also have the same um, technology you would if you bought a brand new piece. Yeah, Casey, that's been the interesting thing I think lately for us on the podcast is watching a lot of companies roll out with planter updates, and when we think about where maybe the R&D has been focused on planters don't seem like they're often in the headlines, but here over the last maybe couple of months, we've really seen a lot of companies moving forward with planter technology. What are some of those big things, big pieces that are coming down the pipeline for planters and why the sudden focus it feels like on this? Um, I think, yes, I've, I've thought about that a lot, Delaney. I think, I think the biggest thing on the planter side is it's probably the easiest place to start, right? That you can see some pretty um, immediate returns on your investment, right? So if you're looking at um, all the agronomic information that's out there, you know, when's, when it's planted, when it emerges, um, spacing, all those things that come into play are, start, are, are, are showing huge dividends. If you're looking at um, the speed of which the crop needs to be planted based around planting windows and those kind of things, you're starting to see bigger and faster planters come into play and more and more of that speed into um, uh, 
the, of getting the, the crop planted is becoming more and more important. So I think as you look at the planter side of the stuff, it's easy to, to say, hey, we've got to have a pretty fast, precise machine out here um, because one, we don't necessarily have the labor that we had um, 10 years ago available to us. And, and secondly, we have some shorter windows, it seems like, uh, to get these um, crops planted uh, and, and to make sure that we hit, you know, the, the moisture schedule or the uh, header, header behind um, various um, fronts coming through and those kind of things. The, the, the spring weather seems to be more erratic than it's been in the past. So it's just you're showing um, that return based upon how fast you can plant something and the accuracy of which you can do that. And I think that's why the planter marketplace is doing that. And that being said too, um, there's a lot of old machines out there, a lot of bars out there that guys can, can upgrade. I mean, if you look at what's sitting in the barn, what's sitting out in, in the, the dealer lot or what's coming out of the factory, all those machines now are, have the same capability pretty much to be um, as, as good, if not, as good as what's coming off the factory line. So you're, you're seeing more opportunity um, to grow uh, market share, I guess, uh, in those spaces with, with planters than anywhere else. So then when you look at sprayers, what are we upgrading? Why do we look at these packages to get something better than what we're currently running? Well, if you look at what the technology that's out there now, um, uh, and you take the John Deere stuff, for example, I mean, if they're if their claims are are as accurate as as they as they say they're going to be, and you're spraying seventy percent less chemical or fertilizer or whatever it is that you're out there, you've you've reduced your your input costs by by seventy percent. And there's some back end subscriptions stuff like that you have to buy, but the amount of savings that are out there um, are going to be uh, pretty big. And I think the thing about technology too that I think is a bit overlooked on this is that it's like anything else. Um, we're looking at Gen 1 technology right now. Could you imagine what it's going to look like when it's Gen 3 or Gen 4 technology and 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 the efficiencies that come along with that? Um, I think right now, if you look at technology, it's one of those deals where you kind of have to stay ahead of the curve um, if you want to see the re residual um, uh, effects of what those efficiencies are going to bring back to your operation. And I think those are some of the things like your, to your planner or to your sprayer point, the more that you look at that technology and what's there and the savings that are there, if you're two or three years down the road now, you're, you're just not getting into gen one and, and gen two or three is out there already. There's, there's an amount of savings that are going to be associated with that. And I think that's the, that's the key factor as we look at technology moving forward and, and why you need to upgrade or start thinking about what your plan to upgrade might be over the next uh, few years, because, you know, you can look at the technology that's coming down the pike now in ag and it's used to be every two or three years, we'd see something big. Now it's about every, it seems like every six months we're seeing something big come through on technology wise. And so as you think about maybe the next six months to a year, Casey, what do you think are some of those big things we're going to see coming down the pipeline that you just mentioned? Well, I think, you know, this, this, the AI stuff that we're seeing um, and, and how the, the recognition of uh, various plants and, and, and how those things can be sprayed, the amount of, uh, you know, the sprayer technology that's on um, or the fertilizer application technology that's out there on, on planters right now is a big deal. So just watching these, these things take place and how AI is really starting to really make a big move into this stuff. Um, you know, this, the satellite 
um, the Starlink stuff that you saw uh, with the joint venture between Deer and, and Starlink and that partnership and what that looks like. To me, that's like the second step into uh, the fully autonomous fleet and what that looks like. So as as those things come together, that's going to be an even bigger um, aspect of how machines talk to each other, how data gets transferred out of the field and those kind of things. So that, that speed of data coming out over the next um, six months to a year from the machine back to uh, the agronomic decision-making people are, is going to be even even bigger to where you can see stuff almost in, in real time, even more so than you can today. Well, Casey, it's been as insightful as always. If our listeners want to keep tabs on you or get your information more regularly, how do they do that? Uh, you can find me on you know, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Moving Iron LLC. You can go to my YouTube channel. That's the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, and you can listen to the Moving Iron Podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Always fun to talk to Casey. If you guys want more of his information, hop on over to Farm for Profit and slide into the first part of January. Casey was one of our first guests, Delaney, in the new studio. So if you want more information, go listen to him there. Fantastic, Tanner. That sounds great. I can't learn, wait to learn more about the studio and share that with our listeners. Absolutely. But that's enough for today. So should we let them go? Let's let them go.